Here is what you missed this morning on the Catholic Morning Show. All right, let's go to our next guest, Father P.J. McManus. It's Thursday. Good morning. Good morning, Johnny. All right, let's get to our first question of the day for Father P.J. McManus. How do I know if I'm loving Our Lady too much? So I always find it hard to know what to do with questions like this yeah. because it's, I mean, it is it is sort of like saying, well, how do you know if you love motherhood or apple pie too much? Like if it's, if it's an innate good and an immense good, then the only way that you're going to be loving the thing too much is going to be if it's inordinate relative to all of the other things you love. Mm. And the only way I can see that working out uh, in the life of a Christian is going to be if somehow your devotion to Mary does, in fact, manage to get in the way of your your devotion to Jesus, your love of Jesus, your the kind of the primacy of Jesus in the story. Now, you're going to um, have people that are going to say on one side, well, yeah, any devotion to Mary is, is going to get in the way of Jesus. And then you're going to have people on the other side that's going to say, well, how could you say that, Father? How could you, how could Mary ever get in the way of Jesus, right? There, there's got to be a happy balance here. Yeah, well, I mean, I think <laughs> this is probably going to sound too harsh of a critique. So so <laughs> ready ready for the emails and text companies. Here we go. But, um, like, I just think those sort of objections are only possible if you're conceiving of your relationship with Jesus as that with an imaginary friend mm. rather than an actual person that you have a living relationship with. If you have to stop and ask yourself a question, is my relationship with my best friend's mother getting in the way of my relationship with my best friend? You absolutely have a problem, but it's not with a best friend's mother. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so, so the only way this is possible is if I'm not thinking of Jesus as a real living human being uh, who, 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 having died, continues to live, and because he is also God, exerts uh, ultimate control and authority in my life, and who is therefore due all of my love and loyalty and obedience and care, <laughs> and that every other love that I have is directed to and subordinated to that love. Like, if, 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 if you're not thinking of it that way, you're not doing it right, right? Yeah. If, 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 if Jesus is like your imaginary friend who has this sort of imaginary family that I do or don't have particular relationships with, um, uh, something, something like people that get you know real fixed on a particular uh, series or something, you know, I'm I'm a hairy person, I'm a Hermione person, or something like this is not. These are actual people. Yeah. <laughs> these, these these aren't made up people. These are real people, and so so the quality of your relationships with them need to be judged the way you would judge the quality of your relationships with every other person you know. That's such a hard question to navigate, Father, but you nailed it. I think you're exactly right on it. Uh, Second question comes to us from a friend, actually. Uh, What if we pray for a poor soul in purgatory and they're already in heaven? So, honestly, the person who I think has done the best work on this is a good friend of the station and you personally, right, uh, Jimmy Aiken. Mm. So Jimmy Aiken has done a lot just in the past year. Um, he did a whole episode of his Mysterious World podcast on this, but he's he's done other things too yeah. um, on on the effects of time on prayer. And so, like the short answer to this, which which which, uh, which I've given many many times, which I think is kind of the, the normal thing, right? Is well, I mean, like God's outside time, let God take care of it. Sure. Like, like it, 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 it's clearly a prayer sort of um, 
uh, order in the right direction and God's not going to let grace go to waste or something like that. And that's true. So I'm not saying those are bad answers, and yeah. especially, I don't know, in the context of like a CCD class or something. It's, it's as reasonable a reply as anything, right? Yep. I think the problem is where it, it, what we tend to land on in trying to answer the question is the already, right? What do we do if they're already in heaven? So I talk about the timepiece or the relationship between purgatory and heaven. Mm. I think what's really behind the question, though, is a kind of misunderstanding about how prayer works. So, so it, it seems to me that this sort of question, at least the way it's usually framed, thinks of prayer as uh, a, 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 a cause and effect uh, chain where I pray for something, God receives the prayer, and then God permits or does or allows something to happen. Right? It's Santa. <laughs> it's Santa. Yep. <laughs> and, and, and that is actually rather the opposite right. <laughs> of what the tradition is going to tell us prayer is and does, right? So prayer is not uh, our magic way of manipulating God. This is actually how how magic and sacraments are different, mm-hmm. right? Um, is, is a, this is not our attempt to manipulate God at all. These are moments that God invites us to share in his creative work and his saving work. So, so we don't pray. This is from Aquinas, right? We don't pray to change God's mind. We pray to obtain from God the goods he already longs to give, but not only out of his goodness, rather out of the fruit of our prayer. Will you say that again? Uh-huh. So we don't pray, and this is, this is pared down into slightly simpler English than Aquinas' sure. Latin is, right? But we don't pray to change God's mind, in parenthesis, that's real important. If we could actually do that, the universe would blow up, mm-hmm. in parenthesis. Rather, we pray to obtain from God the good things he already longs to give, no longer only as the result of God's goodness, but also as the fruit of our prayer. So the best way to see this is, in fact, in the Mass, in all the sacraments, but preeminently the Mass. So God could choose to make himself present to us in any number of ways. He doesn't have to do so through bread and wine. He chooses to do so in that way because it allows us to share in the making of his presence. He chooses to be made present in answer to our prayer. And he has assured us infallibly he will always make himself present in answer to that prayer. But that means that what we're doing there, it's not like God, God's going to withhold his presence unless we say the magic words. It's rather that God has asked us to do this thing so that what happens at Mass is both really God's work and really ours. It's not an either-or. It's kind of the original both-and. And the reason that matters here is because if I'm standing here in 2023 and I pray for my grandfather who died in 1993, and, and from my perspective in 2023, grandpa's already in heaven, what happens to the prayer? Mm. God is not standing in 2023 or 1993. Yeah. He's outside the whole, the whole paradigm, right? So God can receive that prayer and apply it retroactively or preemptively to anything that he wants to because he's not bound by the same strictures that we are. Mm. In fact, he's actually allowing us to share, in this case, in the saving of my grandpa. 
in the alleviation of his sufferings in purgatory from where from wherever and whenever and applying it to grandpa whenever grandpa would need it mm. beautiful which, which Go is good which is good news in november because it means that the, the you know the, the the way that we care for one another doesn't die at death yeah. i i didn't really understand this and it's going to sound crazy but you know by the time my mom died i'd probably been with maybe three or four hundred families you know around the death of a loved sure. one she certainly was not the first like deathbed room that I was in, you know, when the person actually passed. Right. Right. But something I didn't understand until she died was the desire to to keep them warm. When someone dies, almost immediately, the, the closest family members, their first intuition, right, is to cover them up, not like cover their face, but like tuck them in, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 I'd watched this for years, and I thought that's real weird. I don't understand that at all until it happened to me. And when I and when it happened with my own mother, I get like you. There is an immense desire to do something for the one who has died. You want it because you feel so powerless in the face of death, right? Yeah. You want to be able to do something. Well, this is the something. Like this is what that desire is is meant to be fulfilled by. This is the something we can continue to do. We can continue to pray and penance and and offer sacrifice uh, for for those that have died. Wow, that brought tears to my eyes. My goodness. That was good. Uh, question number three, if I can get through it. Uh, why did Jesus not defend himself more to Pontius Pilate, Father? So this one's hard to answer because the, the account of Jesus' defense before Pilate looks different in the, in the four Gospels. So he takes a much more active role uh, in, in the account um, of St. John, um, and, and that kind of parallels with the whole, in St. John's Gospel, he, like, he looks like he's sort of in charge of the whole operation, right? Which, of course, on some level he is, in which the Church, having had a few more years under her belt when St. John's writing his Gospel, probably was able to see better, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as opposed to the Gospels that were written more close to when it happened, when all the things that were said might not have made a great deal of sense. In St. John's Gospel specifically, there's a, there's a complex narrative piece happening, too. So Jesus, in the, the course of the whole passion series right um he 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 three times responds once to the soldiers when they first show up then twice to Pilate. um i am to these big questions right are you the holy one the son of the son of god i am right and that ego a me that i am is a is, is a use of the divine name so it's it's very very important when he does it it's why when he says i am to the soldiers they fall back in fear right mm. well Narratively, that's meant to pair up against Peter saying, I am not. And how many times does Peter deny Jesus? Three times. Three times. So, so, so the accounts that are in the Gospels, aren't, this isn't a court transcript. Yeah. It's not intended to be, right? Um, which is not to say it's unreliable. They're just they're accenting different, different pieces here. I think one important part of church history that probably a lot of our listeners don't know is that there's a, a lot of dispute about what happens to Pilate afterwards, mm. and that and that the writing of the Gospels may well be a reflection of the Church's own kind of ambiguity toward toward the guy. So there are variant traditions. Basically, what happens is after the death of Jesus, what everybody agrees on is after the death of Jesus, four or five years later, there's an insurrection from the Samaritans, um, and it may well be that the Barabbas of the Gospels, whose name is not Barabbas, that's a name that is made up for the Gospels, um, 
that he may have been the one that led the insurrection. Um, but in any case, uh, there is an insurrection, and Pilate didn't handle it very well, so he got removed from office. And then there are two different versions of this. One version is that he, uh, he got sent back to Rome to, for trial. The emperor died before he got there, and so he returned in disgrace and ultimately committed suicide. But there are other traditions that, in fact, he and his wife wind up converting to the faith. Mm. And the reason that they disappear from the historical record is because they wind up they, they wind up having to change their names and sort of go into hiding as they've become part of the very sect that they tried to shut down. So there's so there's actually a tradition, this is gonna sound crazy to us here, but there's there's a genuine tradition, especially uh, in the Coptic Church, of sort of Saint Pilate. Wow. Um, be, be, because, and, and what, what, what this tradition does, whether it's true historically or not, is sort of not important. Um, uh, they use them as a sort of contrast to Judas. So both men deeply involved and responsible for the death of Jesus, one falling to despair and committing suicide, and the other, uh, and the other achieving repentance and, 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 and being sainted, as it were, right? Um, the point isn't so much whether it happens, but that the faith of the early church was such that it could happen, mm. that you could redeem even someone like Pilate. Um, and that would almost certainly affect the way you told his story after the fact. That is cool. I have never heard that before in my life. Father P.J. McManus, good stuff this morning. Would you give us your blessing? Sure. May the peace and the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon you and remain with you forever. One of my favorite segments. We'll talk to you soon. Listen to the Catholic Morning Show weekday mornings at 7 on the Iowa Catholic Radio Network, iowacatholicradio.com, or the Iowa Catholic Radio app.